When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to the Squiggly Queers podcast. I am Helen and I'm joined by my co-host Sarah. Hi everyone. And this is episode 92 of the podcast, so thank you for listening to all of them. I don't know if you've listened to all 92 episodes, but (laughs) this this may be your first, so we should probably give you a proper introduction in a second. Uh, But today, our episode today is all around negotiating at work. And in terms of what you can expect for the next half an hour or so, we're going to be covering why negotiations an increasingly relevant skill in a squiggly career. We're also going to talk about some of our experiences of negotiating, maybe dig a little bit into the highlights and lowlights of our career, negotiating experience and we're going to really focus on practical tips we've got six practical tips for you to help you to develop your negotiating skills in lots of different contexts that it might come up at work but first let's imagine this is your first one so welcome to the squiggly careers podcast and we should probably explain a little bit about what squiggly careers are and why we do a podcast on them every week so sarah i'm going to hand that button over to you no, thanks. Pleasure. Well, I think we actually realised that we probably end up talking about squiggly careers a lot, but very rarely actually take a bit of time just to explain what we think they are. And we probably both have our own kind of slightly different versions anyway, so it's good to keep <laughs> practising. I think from our perspective, when we came up with the idea of squiggly careers, it was a recognition and kind of an insight that the old world of predictable, linear career ladders were disappearing. The idea now of a job or even a career for life is really rare. We're both in the kind of situation where you look at your kind of parents and you think, well, I'm going to have more jobs and work in more companies than my dad. And that's true today. You know, we're both still working, me and my dad, both still working hard, but I've already had more jobs. And you go, that's in actually quite a short space of time. Our experiences of work and the world of work have changed pretty quickly. It doesn't almost matter which dimension of work you look at. Sometimes we talk about why people work or where people work or what people are working on. Across every single aspect, there's usually some quite significant changes that are happening. And I think for us, we would probably kind of summarise a squiggly career using three words and then there's a bit of a kind of outcome or a so what, I guess, to a squiggly career. And those three words are change, overwhelming and opportunity. And so... 
the change is kind of the point we just made around going, there's just so much change happening around us, happening in our organisation, change that we're also driving for ourselves. I remember actually that change used to be one of those things in organisations where specific teams did change. It was like a, it was a separate thing. We'll all just keep going while these teams over here work out how to change <laughs> some stuff. Yeah. And now I just think this is the new normal, the amount of technology, and things that are happening in our economies and just the way that we're all working, change is just a constant. And it's a really interesting thing because I think often people talk about, you know, there's these like big moments of change. I just think we all just need to get used to things almost being in this constant state of flux and change and that not necessarily being a bad thing. That can actually be a really good thing, which is where we get onto this point about, I'm going to say them simultaneously to make us feel better, both it can be overwhelming and it can be full of opportunity. And so I think with the squiggly career, what we're not saying is, oh, this is just all way better than it's ever been before. I think it can be. I think it can be full of opportunity. And at their best, squiggly careers are brilliant. You have more freedom. You've got opportunities to fulfill your potential, feel like you're kind of making a real difference, have real purpose, lots more creativity. And I do believe that ultimately the squiggly career for all of us means that we should be able to have careers and jobs that will give us a really kind of strong sense of fulfilment, identity, and that work is a really positive contributor to our life. The flip side of that is I think squiggly careers at their worst can be really overwhelming and anxiety inducing. And it doesn't surprise me that one of our most listened to podcasts is actually on how to manage stress. And I think that just gives you a sense for, with all of that change that we started off with talking about in terms of the context, that actually you have this, the kind of the either side of the same coin of going at one side when it's all working out, it can be brilliant, but it doesn't take much for it to kind of flip over and then actually feel like, oh, maybe I'm losing control or I'm finding that it's all kind of a bit much. And that, the kind of so what of those things, which is more kind of describing what everyone's experienced, is this point around ownership. We really believe that there's never been a more important moment to take control and take ownership for your career development and make sure that you've got the skills to succeed, whatever success means to you. And that actually the squiggly career means that you're going to thrive, maybe not every day in every moment. I wouldn't want to uh, guarantee that on on, <laughs> on our promise to people that, um, you know, you still have to sometimes, you know, have difficult bosses or different things might happen to you that might not be quite so great. But I do think when you think about the skills and all the different things that we talk about on the podcast, if you start developing these for yourself and really take ownership for it and kind of go, right, it's this is my career, I'm really going to care about it, invest in it, invest time and kind of energy in it. Actually, it's always those people who I see who, yes, are still having the ups and downs that we all experience at work, but broadly speaking, are going, I'm really enjoying what I'm doing. And I think that's what those people always have in common. They've always taken ownership. How did it do, Helen? Was that a good summary? <laughs> yes, it was. It was. I think people will definitely know what Squiggly Careers is all about now. Um, so if we make the point then about Squiggly Careers and negotiation for today's podcast, why do we think it's becoming more and more important? Well, there are three reasons we think this is a useful podcast for you right now in terms of careers. The first is that you are going to be negotiating more often. The fact that we are working longer than ever, the fact that there's much more movement either in your company or outside of your company, there are kind of more points of negotiation now in your career. So we need to develop the skills so we're ready for those negotiation points so that you can start to personalise your career and take advantage of all of the opportunities to do that, whether that's about where you're working or when you're working or how you're working there's just many more options so we need to really hone our negotiation skills so that's point one 
The second point is in the context of you're going to be doing it more often, we also have to recognise that lots of people don't feel that comfortable about negotiating. I think it's tied up in this um, financial fear or the idea mm-hmm. that it's going to be hard negotiating or that some people are really, really difficult Lots of people don't really like the idea of negotiating. It's a bit like the word networking. It's sort of um, loaded with meaning that people don't necessarily find that fun and therefore they avoid or dread it. And so we have to kind of sort of redefine what negotiation is and therefore we can maybe look at it a bit differently from our skill set. And the last thing is that the way that Squiggly Careers have now opened up the job market for employers, you know, you don't have to just now work in the local area of the company. They've, they've got much bigger talent pools that they can pull on. That means you're probably going to be competing with more people for your jobs than you were in the old staircase career. And so your ability to negotiate and craft jobs and convince people um, so that you can get the roles that you want to do also becomes more important. So not necessarily something that everybody loves doing, However, we've got some practical skills and tips for you so that you can develop it. But it's definitely a skill that is increasing in importance the more squiggly that careers get. Yeah, and I think it's one of those words where uh, we do this in workshops sometimes where we say, you know, negotiation, what are the other words that you would associate with that? And do you see it as a kind of positive, negative or neutral word? I think a lot of people would say scary that you're going to lose there would would be quite a lot of negativity um and i think this definition that we found is a really good way to start to think about it which is uh, by a guy called jared cunham who is a professor of management at mit he says it's negotiation is a source of empowerment it's how we achieve things in the world and i think that if someone said to you well that's what negotiation is it's going to empower you it's going to help you achieve things that you want to achieve Suddenly just starting with that frame of reference and frame of mind, I think just helps you to think about basically just how relevant it is to your um, career happiness. So back to that squiggly career point around, you know, what does success look like to you to be able to make those things happen? It is inevitable, I think, that you need to be good at this stuff, but that you can absolutely do it in a way that works for you and that doesn't have to be tied up with some of those things that uh, can feel a bit scary. So let's kick off by sharing some of our stories of negotiation, the highlights and kind of lowlights as Helen talks about them. (laughs) So Helen, do you feel like you've done lots of negotiation in your career? Would you say it's been a kind of feature of your career so far? Well, well, that's a big question. No, I don't think it has been a big feature of my career. And I actually don't think I'm brilliant at it. My husband would probably say I'm not. You know, normally when it, for me, it really sticks out in moments of um, applying for new jobs. I actually normally go to my husband or you, Sarah, to get advice because I actually think it's something that you are better at than me. But if I think about two points that really stand out for me, When I was going from, when I was leaving Virgin and I was going to work at Microsoft and at the time that I was sort of negotiating my, the package, if you like, so, you know, my holiday and bonus and shares and all that kind of great stuff, as well as my salary, I was pregnant, which meant that I, because I was joining the company pregnant, they've changed the policy now, actually, but when I joined, I wasn't entitled to maternity pay. So it meant that I was going to start at that company and then for the period of time that I had off for maternity leave, I would have no salary and other than statutory benefits, there would would be nothing. And so I was trying to negotiate various different types on my package so that I kind of wasn't so exposed financially when I joined because it was a big thing for me. Do I stay at Virgin where I'm going to be more financially secure in the short term because of this or do I go to Microsoft? And I wanted to make the move, but I definitely had some financial considerations to that. And so I really looked at all the different elements that I could negotiate there and I I broke it down, whether it was about 
you know, it wasn't just about my salary because my salary wouldn't have helped me in that situation. There were other components that I was looking at, keeping touch days, all kinds of things to make that easier. And I think what I learned from that was that when you're negotiating something bigger, it can be quite useful to break it down into smaller parts. And I also learned as well, I think it's quite useful, as you progress in your career, the negotiating around what your company offers you gets a bit more complicated. Like I I remember earlier in my career, like I'm talking after grad scheme, I pretty much just negotiate on my salary. I felt like I just had one thing I could negotiate. And then as I've sort of progressed in my career, the components that I've been negotiating, so holiday, shares, bonus, salary, you know, working patterns, all of that stuff, there's many more kind of elements of it. And I think that gives you a bit more flexibility when you're negotiating because you can start to trade stuff off. And if someone says no to, well, Helen, you can't work four days a week, then I'll say, okay, well, let's bring this thing back on the table if you're not giving me that. So I think I did that quite well. And yeah, I definitely learned to break things down. I Also, I think when I was maybe not a non-getting-a-job-related negotiation point, when I was at Virgin... Um, I was launching this new business for Virgin and it was a new team. We didn't have a huge amount of money to build that business. And I remember there were lots of negotiations about, I was sort of heading up marketing and one of my peers, really great guy called Neil, he was heading up like the the development, the technology development of, of the app. We were building an app and we used to have debates basically about where the money should go. <laughs> should Should the money, <laughs> the limited part of money, should it go on marketing and building the audience and building the community and the awareness? or should it go on the functionality of the actual app and now everyone's probably sat there going both 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 but it it wasn't quite that neat so we had to have regular conversations about where the money should go each time a new pot of money came into things and I think what I learned from that was that emotion isn't the most powerful negotiation tactic so if I for example was saying to Nia well just because it should and because this is what people love and what they want and we should you know we've got to raise awareness of it to somebody who is a real logical thinker and who would have spreadsheets and data to support negotiation my emotion fueled approach just didn't work so I think my my lesson from that was you've got to learn who you're negotiating with and understand what's going to resonate with them because you know in that instance emotion going to a data orientated person was just like a it was a lose-lose it just didn't help us get to a point at which that we could move forward together it probably just irritated each other uh, so yeah they're, they're, they're my my particular moments I guess in the last five years that really stick out what about you? Well, I really remember going on a negotiation course and it was a bit of a rite of passage actually at Sainsbury's. So lots of people sort of went on it when they got to a certain point in their career. It had a bit of a reputation, you know, one of those courses where you're a bit like nervous before you're even going on it. And in in my case, it turns out rightly so. But we started with some like basically win-lose negotiation quite aggressive basically one of you does way better out of a negotiation than than the other and some of it they made you sort of do in front of everyone so it's kind of my worst case scenario you know you're making someone do a role play as a kind of introvert you're suddenly having to stand up and do this stuff that you don't feel like you're very good at negotiating role play I mean it's like a double hit (laughs) oh even now I'm just like makes me hot just thinking about it um and with people that you work with like every day people you know like a few different levels and stuff so Oh, it was oh horrendous. Um, I, I didn't enjoy that. But the what was funny was when you were doing the win lose one. So I was getting, uh, I was made to get up and do this negotiation, and 
I hated it so much that I completely froze right. and sort of forgot to talk. So <laughs> that's one almost, tactic. <laughs> yeah, well, do you know what? It's really funny because quite a few people I still know would have been at that course. Um, and I sort of stonewalled with this guy. But it's not because I was doing a really negotiating. It was because I was dying inside going, this is horrendous. I don't know what to say. I just want to leave. So I just <laughs> I just really froze. And then I, like, won the negotiation by loads because this guy just got more and more frustrated and, like, angry at me. I mean, it does show that that works. But afterwards, I mean, I think I was, like, I was probably, like, soaked in sweat. I wanted to leave, wanted to go home. It was, it was actually traumatic. And I... I think at that point, and actually quite a lot of feedback at the end of that course, and like the first point of my feedback was, um, yeah, we, we don't think like win-lose negotiation is quite for you. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, what do you reckon? Um, so I, I was quite scarred by that. And I think that probably reinforced lots of like the old perceptions mm. of negotiation, which is why previously I've probably labelled myself as somebody who isn't good at negotiation. Because I've sort of had that, it's funny, isn't it, how those moments then influence so much of what you think about yourself and what you're good at. Uh, so I came away going, oh, well, that's not for me. It's just not not one of the things I'm good at, but that's okay. There's other things. And then actually, I think over the course of probably the last six or seven years, I've realised that I am a good negotiator, particularly where there's kind of a win-win scenario. Yeah. And the thing I think I'm good at is actually putting myself in other people's shoes. So I think before I've negotiated anything for myself... I've always been good at almost like scenario planning mm. and thinking through the implications for the other person, the organisation, quite good at thinking about options and possibilities, so not being too black and white in terms of what the outcome might be. Probably because I like reflecting and thinking things through. I sort of go, okay, so this might happen, that might happen, that would be quite interesting, and I can think through all of that before I start having conversations. So I really remember talking to Sainsbury's about wanting to work a four-day week, which now probably doesn't sound that controversial, but at the time there wasn't very many people I knew at my level working four days, and I wanted to work four days so I could do Amazing If, more of this sort of stuff. And most of the time, it was people who wanted to work four days. It was because they got kids. There wasn't very many role models. There wasn't really a kind of blueprint for how you did this. So it felt like quite a brave thing to do. But actually, I think I could see it from Sainsbury's perspective in terms of going, well, actually, it's quite useful to have some other role models of people doing flexibility in different ways. That's a good thing for them. Mm. I'm about to move into a new job. So actually, this could be quite good timing because we can frame and think about the objectives of that job starting from a capacity of a four-day week rather than a five-day week. And let's figure out whether that would still work in terms of what the role needs to deliver. It was a kind of good moment in time. And also, really practically, they can save 20% of yeah. their money because they're going to pay me 20% less and I'm an expensive person. And so I think that really gave me the confidence to have the conversation. And it doesn't mean I kind of wasn't nervous, but it did mean that I could go into it understanding that this wasn't just about me, that there was something in it for them too. Um, and I think that just... Um, it's such a good tip. You're so, you are really good at it, really. It's like a Sarah, Sarah super skill, I think. You're yeah, it's a, it's a slightly weird one, I think. <laughs> but it's sort of this idea of being able to kind of hypothesise and just play out different options and possibilities. And I think if you can do that, whether you do that, like me, I sort of do that in my head because I am sort of quite a thinker and think in my head. But I think the other way to do it is to like talk to somebody about it and try and just sketch people out. Some people are particularly good at helping you do that and asking really good questions. A bit like Helen said, you know, she'll often go to like Gareth, her husband, or to me. And probably what I help her to do is to think about all of those things. So you just feel, I think, more prepared and more confident. And so now I'm sort of much more comfortable saying, oh, I am a good negotiator. 
I'm probably not the person to put... There are very few, actually, win-lose negotiations at work, I would say. I think the ones you sort of see in, in life, the classic examples were often like buying a car and buying a house. Yeah. So I probably shouldn't buy too many cars and houses. <laughs> but I think in terms of work negotiation, I'm much more confident now that... I can do it and do it well and in a way that works for everyone. So unfortunately, we can't bring you into every negotiation that we have at work. <laughs> and that would probably help me, though I am I'm actually probably going to be negotiating with you in the future. So <laughs> this, is probably, this is probably not going well oh, for me. Oh, I don't, do you know what? I don't thought of that. That's absolutely brilliant. Oh, I might, I might need some tips, Sarah, to, uh, to improve my approach to negotiation. And it just so happens that we have some. So, um, But you'll, you'll, you'll know what I'm doing now with these tips. You'll be like, ah, oh, that's <laughs> Helen doing tip number three from my negotiation podcast. <laughs> Podcast. I get you. So we've got six tips for you, which we are going to go through. And we think these will help you to maybe prepare a little bit more for negotiations or when you're in the moment, just think about how you might be reacting to it in a way that might be helpful. So Sarah, shall I go through the first three and then you go through the second yep. three? Yeah, yeah, go for it. So tip number one for you is to look for areas of common ground rather than enter into conflict. And actually there's some resources that we'll share which talks about the soft and hard approaches to negotiation and how they can really be quite disruptive. So if I'm hard negotiating with someone who else who's hard negotiating, then that results mm -hmm. in conflict. And it talks about that in that situation, it is very likely that it is a lose-lose because -lose, neither of you are going to back down. And you can look at all the different scenarios in, in the link that we've got. But the point here is to really pay attention to where areas where you and the other person are already in agreement. So, for example, let's say Sarah, you know, she talked about the scenario about um, working fewer days in the week and changing her working patterns. Let's say that she wanted to work four days a week and her manager wasn't really into that. If Sarah had gone head to head on that point straight away, it could have been a lose-lose situation. So Sarah might be saying, well, all I want to do is four days. And the person's saying, no, you can't do your job in four days. It's got to be mm, five days. You get to stalemate very Yeah, you quickly, get to stalemate. But actually, if you could look for areas of common ground, so for example, Sarah could sort of go slightly different tack and say, okay, what's important to you about the team over the next 12 months? And that person might say, I don't know, well, team motivation and our internal brand Sarah could then say, well, yeah, I really care about that. And this is how I think, you know, me being a role model for people or showing that we're embracing this could really support that. So look for the areas of common ground. What you can do then is cultivate an attitude of um, cooperation between you and the person or the people that you're negotiating with. And it will start to quash some of the feelings of opposition that might arise when you're going head to head. So that is tip number one. Tip number two is to do your homework in advance of the discussion. This particularly works if you've got the opportunity to prepare. So if you're negotiating on the spot, you might not be able to do this. But if you think this is going to happen in a meeting or a conversation, you're going to be able to do this. And the way to do it is to think about all the tough questions that you might get from that person. And so you can do this in a couple of ways. One is you can do what Sarah did. So you can put yourself in their shoes and think, OK, so... I don't know, let's go back to the previous example. So they might say that my work can't be done in that amount of days. They might say that this is going to create a precedent for other people. So put yourself in the other person's shoes and like brainstorm all the different kind of questions they might come up with. Uh, that's kind of one approach to it. The other is to go really random. So don't almost don't take the empathetic what might they be thinking. Just think about what are just really hard questions that they that they might get. So um 
we're going through loads of change at the moment and this just isn't possible. The senior person in the business doesn't support it. So kind of put some really random tough questions in there as well. And then think about what your answer might be to those. There's some approaches to this called um, question burst, uh, which might be a squiggly career tip that I might do soon. Um, so again, we'll link to this in the resources so that you can see it. But it's really just about being prepared, putting yourself in their shoes, thinking about all the questions that you might get so that you are on the front foot and you've considered some scenarios or some ways that you might respond to that in advance and you don't sort of freeze in the meeting. One thing I would say on that is if you are going into a negotiation and you've prepared, it doesn't matter how much you prepare, something could happen that you'd not anticipated. Don't feel under pressure in a negotiation to answer everything in that moment, in that one conversation. I think sometimes, especially if you are somebody who thinks things through and prepares a lot, which I always would be, then, you know, when, when something kind of comes a bit left field or just you hadn't expected it, there's sometimes a temptation to think, I need to know how to answer this mm. right here, right now, mm. or I need, I need to know what I think right here, right now. I think it's absolutely fine to say, oh, that's really interesting. That's not something I'd considered or I've given much thought to. And it's OK to go, let me go away and think about that. And can we chat again next week or can we chat again tomorrow you don't need to complete a negotiation or complete a conversation around a negotiation in one sitting yeah um actually i think probably the harder the negotiation the more conversations it takes and sometimes i think i've gone in with a bit of a mentality of like i've really prepared and then expected everything to get resolved in one conversation whereas i think over time i've become more pragmatic and probably realistic to go okay this is going to be a number of conversations and so let's just see how the first one goes and then I'll prepare for the next one and just break it down a little bit and not expect too much of myself I guess in that one conversation. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom like Evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So tip number three is about two acronyms that um, I actually got taught when I was um, at Procter & Gamble. So um, one of my earlier career 
squiggles was uh, working for Procter & Gamble in sales and they gave us negotiation training there and it was obviously it was very sales focused so it was about kind of you know selling our products to buyers and overcoming objections and all that kind of stuff and they talked about these two acronyms that stuck with me one is ZOPA and the other is BATNA and so ZOPA is <laughs> Z-O-P-A and it stands for the Zone of Possible Agreement and BATNA is B-A-N-T-A and that's Best Alternative to a Negotiated Agreement. Let me explain them because it'll probably make more sense. So the Zone of Possible Agreement is if you're negotiating this is almost like what's your point that you were willing to go to so let's say it's um budget for a project for example and then what's the other person's budget that they might be offering so I might say well, you know what I want 50 grand for that project launch that I'm going to do that's what I think I need for the resource and the marketing or whatever and I think that other person's thinking 20 that person's mentioned that in conversation so the zone of possible agreement is somewhere between 50 and 20 and it just gives you a sort of an area to get, negotiate within the other one that's that, that could just be useful for you kind of framing basically the other thing is batner best alternative to a negotiated agreement this is about making sure it's sort of like you're planning your a and b basically so if i don't get what i want so 50k let's say i'm going in to negotiate 50k and let's say the person says well we've got absolutely no money you're not going to get any money helen so 50k is just completely unrealistic what you want to think of is okay what's my best alternative to a negotiated agreement so they won't agree to that they haven't got any money so what i might do is i might negotiate for two people on secondment in my team so that's not kind of money that they've got to find that's resource and so it's about going into a negotiation absolutely knowing the zone of you know possible agreement and what you're shooting for and going after your primary goal but it's basically like the backup plan if it's a no and you can't get to an agreement and you just can't get your primary goal what's your best alternative and having that in your mind so that at the point at which you can you feel like it's not kind of going the way that you want to go. And I think that is a very, that's going to be different for all of us. And it's very subtle for you to make that call, but that you know that you could, you've maybe got your backup plan, your best alternative to negotiated agreement that you could put on the table for discussion. I think it's quite a skill to be able to do it. Um, but mm. it definitely starts with the thinking. So even if in the room you're like, oh, I don't know, when can I bring my batner out? And definitely don't say, I've got a batner. <laughs> I don't, <laughs> don't say it. But I think at the very least, do the thinking. If I can't, have this what else could I maybe negotiate that might bring me some way towards the outcome that I wanted yeah do you know what? I think I've worked with one person in my career who I would almost describe as a professional negotiator mm. she was she worked in procurement and she like negotiated kind of big partnership deals for the company I was working in and I was really lucky that I just got to be in the room with her once when she was going through these kind of negotiations and I was just like watching in awe you know and you're just like yeah. oh this is like a whole other level in terms of just and she did it so brilliantly and eloquently and elegantly completely in the way that you would want to at no point did it ever kind of lose control or get aggressive or anything like that and I think that's because she it was really her super strength yeah you know that was kind of her thing that she brought to those conversations so the other thing that can be useful is find if you spot people in your organization maybe who are in jobs that just necessitate a lot of negotiation, like procurement, like sales, I think sometimes. Spending a bit of time with those people or even asking those people for their kind of words of wisdom can actually be really useful because I remember I think that was a really important kind of tipping point for me in terms of seeing that lady in action and just being like, oh, okay, that is what amazing looks like. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm never going to quite be you, but I could be half of you. <laughs> 
Um, which I think is probably like genuinely that's probably my level of ability capability is probably about half of what she was she was that good so tip number four separate information from influence this is a particularly important point if you're negotiating with somebody who's more senior than you I think often when we're uh, negotiating with senior people almost everything they say can come across as all being facts mm. like this is all as soon as someone says something it's like well this is true and it's just making sure that you're kind of pausing to really reflect on, is it their point of view, which is still valid, or their opinion, and that's still useful to know, or is it actually information? So if I was negotiating for a four-day week, for example, if somebody then said to me, who was more senior, my boss at the time, oh, well, you just, people just don't work four-day weeks, it's just not a thing that happens. Okay, is that actually true, or is that just that person's perspective or they might think it's true they might not have seen that other people work four day weeks but you might actually know people do and so it's just making sure that you're kind of pausing for thought really listening to what people are saying I think that's probably the key in these conversations because when you are with somebody seen it's always hard isn't it like if they're your boss you know hopefully you respect them and you want to listen to what they've got to say it's just make sure you're really like listening to the words they're using the way they're framing their kind of response and the way they're negotiating to just get a sense of how much of this is just their point of view and perspective and how much of this is about the organisation and something that is hard to deviate from. So I think you're trying to get how much room for manoeuvre is there here, both within the from the individual, but also room for manoeuvre in terms of the actual facts of how something happens within kind of an organisation. Also, a question to ask yourself is whether you would respond in that way if it was somebody else. So if I was asking a peer about going four days a week and they said, oh, well, no one does it here, I might challenge that and say, well, OK, well, why do you think... I might ask some questions, basically. Whereas if I'm thinking, well, I'm not doing that because this person's senior, then what you can see is that your negotiating ability is being weakened by your perceptions of their influence and their seniority. And that's the reality. Like, we're not saying it's really, really easy. But if you if you really believe in something and you really believe that it's worthwhile negotiating, just make sure you're not just backing down because you're perceiving someone who's more senior is telling you facts when actually it's just their opinion. Try and lean appropriately into the challenge you know with those some open questions can you tell me a bit more about that what's behind that thinking whatever whatever the right questions at the time but don't automatically back away because someone senior has just expressed an opinion try and subtly go back with some questions to get to the facts and the information and so number five is push for a fast yes rather than a long no and i think this is really good advice you know i talked before about you don't always need negotiation to happen in one conversation and that's definitely true But I think the point here is about getting an indication as early as possible in terms of, does this feel broadly likely? And so my example here is, uh, while I was at Sainsbury's, I wanted Sainsbury's to support me in becoming um, a professional coach. So I wanted to go off and do some coaching, learning and development stuff, like training, and actually become qualified. And Sainsbury's had done various different coaching things in the past with uh, people, some stuff they'd done internally, some stuff they'd done externally. And I sort of, as I was asking for that, and that was kind of in negotiation, the thing I wanted to get a sense for was, does this feel like it's likely? Do I feel like they're going to support me with this? Because I understood that they weren't quite sure exactly how they were going to do coaching, how they were going to support it. But actually what mattered to me initially was, okay, but does it feel like you are going to get to something at some point or actually has coaching been deprioritized as something that you want to invest in? That's the kind of the really critical question. And so actually it took me quite a long time to get to a yes on that. And I I did get to a yes, 
But the reason I think that I did and that it was worth it over that period of time, and when I say a long time, probably, I reckon more than six months it was, Mm. between the first conversation I had and actually getting the yes, was very early on, I did get positive signs from both my manager and the HR people that I was talking to, was like, the inclination and the willingness to find a solution I sensed was there. And that's a bit about just like intuition, judgment, how much you trust people, you know, those kind of things. And I had actually got a backup plan, which is the Batna thing, Mm -hmm. I think, of going, well, how long am I prepared to wait? What solutions am I prepared to look at? But I got to a kind of fast yes in terms of intention. And then I got to a really long yes, ultimately. And that was fine. And I think that's also understanding that sometimes negotiations do take time. You actually, I remember having to come back to that conversation. Literally every couple of months I'd pop up like a really like annoying uh-huh. <laughs> little meerkat. Back again. Let's chat again about the coaching, shall we? And, and that would have been a waste of your time. So if it was a real long no, that would just keep popping yeah, up. Would have been would've... a complete waste of your time. So it's um, my manager at Virgin used to do this brilliantly. Sometimes you can do it if it feels right to ask for a scale. Like say you're having a conversation with someone, say it's funding for something or other, and you can say, they might say, oh, well, it's you know not right now. And you're like, is that a yes or a no? I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't know. So a good question to go back to there would be, okay, like on a scale of 10 in the next six months, how likely is this? And if they're like, well, you know, six or seven, just not right now, it is then worth you being the little meerkat that Sarah was and popping up again. But if they say, look, to be honest, Helen, two or three, I just don't think it's going to happen. That's the point that you need that you may need to make a call about whether you try a different approach, but know that you're getting a pretty strong signal that this might be a very long no. Yeah, and I think there's a good article from American Express that we're going to put in the resources about just how to quickly get to that yes. I think it's just about asking some smart, and I would say actually you've got to ask some direct questions, um, which isn't always necessarily my strong suit. But I do think, you know, you can talk more conversationally, which would always be my preferred kind of style. But it's knowing when you do need a direct question, which is almost like not an open question. It's quite a closed question. It's almost like the scale thing is the answer has got to be something between one and ten. Yeah. Or there has to be a bit more of a yes or a no. You, you are trying to pin somebody a little bit to going, you know, that might even be their perspective rather than kind of information. But that is really useful intel for you to kind of build from and to be realistic about because sometimes you negotiate and you don't get what you want, but it's better to work that out sooner rather than later. And then you can start working around that, thinking about alternatives rather than waiting and then just being really disappointed. And then tip number six is decision maker. Make sure you are really clear about who makes the decision. I think this piece of advice is probably worth its weight in gold for a number of different kind of skills uh, within a squiggly career and actually I saw someone do it brilliantly today I actually got an email yeah I did I actually got an email from somebody that we might be working with for the uh, advertising agency I I work in who uh, we might be developing some stuff together on actually like training and development and she just wrote a really clear really direct email to me and just asked the question like who will make the decision as to whether we progress is that you or is that somebody else? And that's a really oh, fair question. Brilliant Because I, I, oh. I am a managing director of the company, but I work for founders. So basically she's going, is it me or is it somebody else or is it both of you? But she did it in a way I didn't feel like she was challenging me unnecessarily or being overly aggressive or anything. She was just going, it's almost like help me understand how mm. the decision is going to get made. Who do I need to influence? And I was just like, oh, do you know what? I rarely see people asking that question. And it's a really good question to ask. And it stops you wasting time. Um, So let's say I go back to her and say, oh, actually, it's not me. It's one of our founders. She'll think, right, well, there's no point in her spending loads of time with me if ultimately I'm not the decision maker. 
if I say, well, actually, it'll be my founder who sort of ultimately decides, she might want to work with me a bit to get to a good proposal or something that we think will be useful. But very quickly, then she'll want to have the conversation with him because mm. she'll go, OK, well, that will then help me get to the kind of the yes or no quicker back to kind of the previous point. Um, so I think it's OK to ask if you're not sure. Sometimes I think, you know, when you're doing often I've negotiated for like training stuff. Is your decision maker your boss or is it HR yeah. or is it both? especially if you're in a kind of bigger organisation, I think that can be uh, really relevant. And that's not always the same in every team, i found. So some teams, it's the manager. Some teams, it's HR. Sometimes <laughs> it's a combination of both. So just like figuring that out. If it's budget holders, Helen's um, examples on if you're asking for cash, again, just knowing how that ultimately gets to a yes or no is just really helpful. So I think that's a, it's a really good strategy and a question. I'm, I don't think I've ever asked it. I know, I it's, brilliant. Say, it's really, oh, yeah. really nice and succinct. It's lovely. But it was just so interesting that I got it in my inbox today and went, oh, yeah, that's really good. We're doing a podcast <laughs> on that today. Um, and you mentioned yeah. influence there, and we talked about information and influence earlier. I think this negotiation and your influencing skills do go hand in hand. Mm. We have done a podcast on this. It's podcast 68, and it's how to be influential. So if this is particularly maybe like pertinent to you right now, and you haven't memorised every single one of our 92 podcasts, uh, then go to episode 68 of the Squid Careers podcast and maybe have a listen to that one because it might help you as well. So let's just recap then on the six tips that we've got for negotiation. The first one is to look for common ground rather than entering a position of conflict. The second tip is to do your homework, prepare those tough questions. The third is to think about your Zopa and your Batna and uh, go listen back if you can't remember what those acronyms stand for. The fourth is to separate information from influence. The fifth is to push for the fast yes rather than the long no. And the last one is be really clear on who is making the decision. So we hope those tips have helped you. Please share this podcast with somebody if you know that they've got a big negotiation coming up because it might be might be something that could help them thank you as well you know we say it quite often but it's so important everyone who spends the time reviewing us I did a bit of a post on on Instagram uh, recently with all the all the five star reviews and we don't take them for granted like we appreciate your time doing the reviews for us on podcasts not at all it's the best part of my day it's it's amazing so yeah we really don't take it for granted we really appreciate your comments are it's so interesting to hear how helpful this is to people and whether you stick us a review on you know iTunes which helps us to reach more people or you drop us an email at get in touch at amazing if com we read all of it and we really really appreciate it so thank you for that a couple of other things just to make you aware of we are running an event in august on august the 8th it is growth mindset in action it is in london we are looking to do events outside of london we obviously do events in amsterdam as well but this one is in london if you want to come along and if there are still tickets left when when this podcast goes live then head over to our instagram page in the bio of our instagram there's um, a whole load of links actually Actually. So if you click on our um, the link in our bio, it will take you through to Eventbrite where you can find the tickets. And I'll also, just to make it easier for you, when I post a description on our new website, which I'll come on to in a minute for this podcast, I'll also put a link in there if you fancy coming along to Sarah and me running our Growth Mindset in Action session in London on August the 8th. Head either to the website, www.amazingif.com and look for this podcast post or click on the link that's in our bio in Instagram. 
and as I've just mentioned by site, we have a new website. Hooray! It's been, it's been a bit of a project, let's say that, for various, <laughs> various different reasons, but it is now live. We have been through it ourselves, but I think we've been so close to it. If you've got feedback, you think it could be improved, we don't have this website to help us it's really to have resources for you so that you can find information about the podcast so that you've got blogs that might be useful for you we've got an online course that we've put on there that we're sort of trialing as we're thinking about how we do more online um different materials to help you so please go have a look at the new website go click around it if you spot anything that's wrong or you think there's anything that's really good or that could be improved then just drop us an email we are open to all of your feedback the what works well and the even better ifs are always super helpful for us and next week what are we going to talk about sarah so we're going to talk about freelancing so um We've had this requested as a topic quite a few times from different people. I think people who are interested in potentially doing freelancing in the future, so have it in mind as a potential squiggly career option. People who are already freelancing, maybe people who part freelance and then kind of do other things as well. Just that whole world, I think, has really exploded over the past couple of years. And I see so many people writing about it in a really interesting way in terms of how do you negotiate and navigate your way, very relevant to today's topic, through the kind of freelancing world. Because yeah, even the people I see talking about it, it's a real minefield in terms of all the things that you have to learn to do. Because often people freelance and they're taking a skill set that they're brilliant at and then just offering it up to multiple companies rather than to just one company. But I think now, and having talked to quite a few people who do freelancing, it's so much more than that. (laughs) Um, And I think there are pros and there are cons. So we're going to try and get some people who are real kind of experts and freelancers to join us as well, because neither of us have spent very much time freelancing. We've sort of done some kind of extra work and things that would be close to freelancing but we don't feel like we're real experts in this area but we do know some people who are so we'll get people to join us for that and hopefully that'll be really interesting as a topic i know that i'm i'm really looking forward to it i think it'll be fascinating and over the coming weeks and months we have some brilliant podcasts lined up for you we do we've got guest speakers that we are so excited about we're so lucky we get to go and talk to them and we can't wait to share all their words of wisdom with you we've got stuff on linkedin uh we've just got loads of great stuff in the pipeline so thank you for listening please share if this is a helpful podcast for you we have got some great stuff that we think you will enjoy too so that is it for this week we'll leave it there and we'll be back with you next week freelancing bye everyone bye everyone thanks for listening Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. 